This is a really a, just a great story coming out of John chapter 4. Because I was reading the passage this week and I was seeing how uh, Jesus, we discover, is uh, thirsty for water. Uh, in the story, it made me think about times in my own life when I've been really thirsty for a drink of water. And I think the one time I always think I know I'm going to be really thirsty is in the middle of July, on a hot summer day, and I'm out mowing my yard. And it takes me about an hour to mow our yard. And when I'm done mowing after that hour, I am really thirsty, I'm really hot, and I'm really tired. And I just want to go into the house, and I want to sit down in the air conditioning. But Diane doesn't let me sit on a, on a couch, so I have to sit on the floor because I'm all hot and sweaty. And, and I drink a really big glass of water, sometimes two or three glasses of water, to kind of get refreshed. And it feels so good when I finally cool down and have water. But, you know, I realize that I still have to have more water in a few hours. We never can be satisfied fully with a drink of water. We're always going to need more. And it makes me think when this week I was thinking about how many times in life I've thought, oh, if I just have this thing in my life, I'm going to be satisfied. You know, I can remember when I was a child, I wanted to have a 10-speed Schwinn bicycle. If I just had a 10-speed, you know, life would be good. And I think I got a 10-speed one for my birthday one year. And it was really good for a while. But, you know, after a while, just back to normal. Not that big a deal. And then I remember when I turned 16, got my driver's license. If I just had a car, life would be great. And then you get a car, and then in a few months, you know, it's just back to normal. And then the thought was, if I could just find a girlfriend who loves me, then it'd be great. You know what? After a while, it just doesn't work out. And then, you know what, you go to college and uh, you think, you know what, graduate from college, if I just get a great job, pays a lot of money, then I'm going to feel so good about life. Life will be great. And then we think, you know what, if I can just find the right spouse, if I can find the right woman, life will be great. And you know what, the Lord blessed me with a great woman, but I know many of you who are married realize that, you know what, our spouse isn't going to meet and fully satisfy all of our desires, all of our wants and needs in life. And, you know, you think, well, I get married, and if I could just have a, our, our, our house, if we could have our own home, you know, and all these things in life, you know, and then you realize when you're married and you have a home and you have kids, then I've got to go get a better job that makes more money so I can be satisfied. And when you get older, you think, you know what, if K-State just wins that, that game to get to the Final Four, <laughs> then I'm going to be satisfied. But I don't quite know what that feeling feels like. <laughs> so never sure I'm going to get that, get that feeling. But you know what? We, we end up looking for life. It, sometimes it feels like life's this rat race where we're pursuing things that we think are going to bring satisfaction. We get them. And then in a few weeks or a few months, that, that luster wears off. And we meet this woman in the story. And we kind of get the story. We, we see this woman. She's been looking for love and satisfaction in all the wrong places. And she figured out way before the Rolling Stones, century before the Rolling Stones, that we can't get no satisfaction, right? And yet she's still looking for it. She's, she's looking for it. She wonders where, where can she find that fulfillment? Where can she find something that will give her life? So let's pick up that story again in John chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. If you've got your phones, go to the version. Um, we're going to take a look through that passage again and kind of walk through that passage and in the beginning of that passage, we're told that Jesus and his disciples are on their way from Judea to Samaria. Judea's in the south, Samaria's in the north, and uh, they have to go through Samaria. Which, if you draw a straight line from Judea to Galilee, they would have to go through Samaria. That would be the shortest way to get there. But what the Scripture's not telling you is that most Jews did not go through Samaria. 
They didn't like the Samaritans. Uh, in fact, they did everything they could do to avoid Samaria. And so what they would end up doing, what, if you went to Samaria, it would be a two-day journey. And they would take a four-day journey just so they could go around Samaria. There was lots of uh, dislike between the Samaritans and the Jews. Uh, Samaritans lived up north. Uh, it had been the northern part of the kingdom of Israel many centuries before. The foreign invaders had come in and taken the northern kingdom away. The, uh, the, the, the Jews that lived in the north uh, in that area had married into the other uh, races, and they also had taken the other gods. And so the Jewish people looked at the Samaritans and thought, you're so impure, you're so unworthy, we don't want to have a relationship with you. And so they literally avoided Samaritans at all costs. Again, they'd go two days out of their way. It'd be like if we wanted to go to Concordia. And if we went back 2,000 years ago, we had to walk to Concordia. Instead of having to go through Minneapolis, if you're from Minneapolis, this is just a story, we, we, would, we would go to Abilene because we didn't want to go through Minneapolis on the way to Concordia. We'd walk 20 miles east, then go north, then 20 miles west to go back to Concordia. That's what they would do. In fact, for Jesus to go through Samaria would have been frowned upon, would have been socially unacceptable in his day. And so for the, the Scripture to say he had to go through Samaria is a little bit of a twist, and we have to figure out what's going on there. Why did he go through Samaria? So we're told that after walking all morning, they come to this town called Sychar, and they come to the well, Jacob's well. This is a famous well outside of this village. And they stop there, and they're tired, and they're hot, and they're thirsty, and they're hungry. And so Jesus stops, sits by the well. He instructs the disciples to go into town, get some food for lunch, come back, and they're going to rest for a little bit. And so we have this image that Jesus is at the well. He's resting by the well. I think it's really interesting that John put that in there. To me, this really points out Jesus' humanity. He's fully human, right? He needs rest. He needs water. He needs refreshment. He needs food in order to, to uh, have life. And so why he's sitting by the well, the story gets interesting. The woman comes out. We, we learn this woman comes to the well at noon. Now, this is also a little bit confusing, a little bit of a twist here. Why would this woman come to the well by herself at noon? That was not normal. Normally, women did go to the well. That was a job for women to go to the well to get water. But they would normally come early in the morning or late in the evening. Because this is the Middle East. It's hot. In the middle of the day, it's going to be like over 100 degrees. And when we think about going to the well, we don't understand. Usually these wells would be somewhere, say, between two to three, year, three miles from your home. So that's quite a walk. And especially when you had to haul the water, your jars full of water, back to your home. That's a workout. And so the women would choose to come early in the morning, late in the evening when it was much cooler. And they also would come together because it would be a time of social time. You know, they want to come and catch up on what, the news of the village, what happened yesterday, how's your family doing. And so it's just really odd that this woman comes by herself at noon to draw water from the well. And we see this conversation begin between Jesus and this woman. Jesus asks her for a cup of water, which was shocking to her. In fact, she responds to him basically, she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Don't you know that Jews don't associate with Samaritans? Like, it was socially uh, unacceptable for Jesus to be talking to her, and she says something about this. And Jesus responds to her and says, If you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for the good stuff, for the good water, for the living water. And she's confused by this. 
She doesn't fully understand what he means. I mean, here we are, we're at this famous well. This is Jacob, the Jacob from the Old Testament. And the Samaritans, this was a very, almost like a holy site for them. And we're at this well, and this is where they've always come for water from this village. And Jesus is saying, hey, I have this source of living water that you don't know about. And she's saying, are you greater than Jacob, our father, our spiritual and our heritage, the father of our heritage? And Jesus is saying, I've got living water. And living water to them meant Water that was in a well, they would have never described as living water because water in a well is water that typically sits in the well. Living water for them would have been water that was in a stream. The water that came out of the stream was much purer and much more refreshing than water coming out of a well. And and there would have been a part of her that would have been very curious about where the source of this living water is. And so let's pick it up in verse 13. If you've got your scriptures, follow along as I read that again. Jesus answers, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So we need to stop here for a second. Jesus is describing that He is the living water. He's the water that refreshes and restores our life for eternity. Jesus is the only true source for life that is abundant and full. And she's a little bit confused, I think. I think she's still thinking about physical water. And Jesus is speaking about spiritual water. But when we have that living water that Jesus is talking about, we, we stop looking for fulfillment in life from other things that are never going to fully satisfy we realize that the better job is not going to be the thing that brings us complete satisfaction. Or to marry a spouse is not going to bring us automatically happiness and fulfillment for the rest of our life. Or that bigger home or that nicer car. We understand when we have an encounter with the living water that there's only one source that brings fulfillment and life to our lives. And so this woman, when she's given the invitation for living water... She says, I'd like that living water. I'd like that. That's going to be purer water. And and the other thing is, I don't have to come every day to this well and draw water. And let's pick it up in verse 16 in this passage. When Jesus goes on, he said to her, he says, go call your husband and come back. He's basically saying, hey, go get your husband. I want to tell him about the living water too. And she replies to him, she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is just is quite right. And so Jesus basically is reflecting back to her uh, some of the details of the difficulty of her life. And we come to this point in the story, it's kind of like an aha moment. We now have some insight into why this woman is coming to the well in the middle of the day at noon, because she's a woman of poor reputation. In the village. Nobody wants to have a relationship with this woman. She's been ostracized by her community. Right? The women don't want to be around her. And I'm guessing she probably doesn't want to be around the women and hear them whisper and tell stories about her. And talk about her behind her back. And so she comes in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, by herself, without community with other women, to draw water that she needs from the well. And yet we have Jesus here, the Son of God. God's living son, the living water, coming to this woman 
and having a conversation with her and offering her the life that he has to offer to all of us. Right? He says, you know what? If you come to me now, I'm the living water. I'm the one who can provide the satisfaction that you've been looking for all your life. He valued her enough that he's willing to break all the social barriers of his culture of that day to come to this town and to seek a life-changing relationship with an outcast Samaritan woman. The living water that offers eternal joyful life is offered to this woman, the one who's been rejected by her own village and her own community, the rest of the community. And I look at this and I think, if God's love, if God's grace, if God's eternal life can come to this woman, the woman with the worst reputation in town, isn't God's love for anyone? Isn't God's love for every one of us? No matter what our experience has been, no matter what our story is, no matter how bad our past looked, God loves each and every one of us. And then she responds and she changes the subject. She points the conversation in a different direction. My guess is she's feeling a little bit shameful because of what's come out about her story and her own life. And so she asks kind of a, or she makes a controversial statement. She talks about worship. You know, the two things you're never supposed to talk to people about today in culture, right, is religion and politics. So she starts to talk about religion. She says, hey, Jesus, uh, We Samaritans believe that the proper place to worship is here by Jacob's well, the mountain by Jacob's well. But you Jews teach that the proper place to worship is in Jerusalem at the temple. And Jesus responds to her, and he's basically responding to her asking a real estate question. You know, real estate, they say the three most important things about real estate. Location, 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 right? So there's a controversy about what's the best location to worship. And Jesus says, you say this mountain... The Jews say Jerusalem, but I'm telling you there's coming an hour where it doesn't matter. Location is not going to matter any longer. It's going to be obsolete because there's going to come a moment where God's spirit is going to be released on this earth. And true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. And it can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to be in the mountain. It doesn't have to be in the temple in Jerusalem. And she's a little bit confused by this statement. So she says, you know what? She says, I know that there's a Messiah who's coming. And when that Messiah comes, he'll be able to explain and answer all my questions. And Jesus replies to that statement. And he makes a very bold statement. He says, I am he. I am the one that you speak of. And Jesus makes a bold claim, saying he is the Messiah. He is the one who's come to offer the living water. And let's see what happens in the rest of the story. Let's look at verse 27. The scripture says that just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Like, okay, Jesus shouldn't be talking to a woman, especially a Samaritan woman, in the middle broad daylight at this well. They're shocked by this as well. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. So the story goes on to describe how the Samaritan woman begins to wonder, Is Jesus the the Messiah, the one that's been prophesied. And how she leaves Jesus and his disciples, she leaves her water jar at the water well, and she goes back into town. And think about what she's risking here. Like, this is the town that's tried to avoid her at all costs. This is the town that's put her in the very shadows and the side of their community. 
And she's risking her, her being ashamed again in front of the rest of the community. She's putting her, her bad reputation on the line again to go to them and speak to them about this man that she met by the well. And yet she's still willing to go do that because she's been so impressed by what Jesus has said and who he is. You know, and this is to me where I learn why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? I think he had to go to Samaria because he believed that this town needed to hear about the living water that God has providing for all of humanity. And he wanted every person in that town, that village, to, to know about Jesus, about the living water, to know the good news about who Jesus is. And the shocking part of the story is, is if you or I were to pick somebody that I'm going to share this good news with and to tell the rest of the town about this story, do you think I would pick the Samaritan woman, the one with the bad reputation? The one that everybody wants to avoid? No, I would pick like a respected leader in the community. Like if I could build a relationship with the mayor and tell the mayor the story, and if the mayor believed, then surely everybody else would listen to the mayor. Or I'd pick a business leader. You know, maybe the most respected business leader in the community. And I would share the good news with him and, and expect that he would be respected and listened to. Or if I wanted to tell a woman, I'd tell a woman that everybody, all the other women wanted to be around at the water well in the morning and in the evening. You know, like Mary. Everybody wants to be around Mary because, you know, Mary tells all the great stories. And Mary has a great family. And her kids, when she tells them what to do, they always do what Mary tells them to do. My kids never do, but Mary's kids do. So I want to, I want to be by Mary. And I would want to tell the story to Mary so that all the other women would trust what Mary has to say. But that's not what Jesus does. It's shocking. It's scandalous. He goes to the woman with the worst reputation in town to proclaim the good news that he's the living water that God is providing that will provide satisfaction and life to any who believe and trust and receive that living water. And I think, you know what, if God, if Jesus uh, could use a woman like the Samaritan woman, the woman with the worst reputation, if he would give her, if he's willing to give her the living water, eternal life, grace, his love, he's willing to give it to any of us. And if he's willing to use her as the messenger to take the message to the rest of the town, isn't he willing to use any one of us? No matter what we know or what we don't know, no matter what our past has been, bad or good, God's willing to use any one of us for his purposes and for his glory to share that story with us. God loves every person from the lowest in society, like the Samaritan woman with the bad reputation, to the very highest in society, like Nicodemus, who we talked about last week. And yet we know that Nicodemus, is as good as Nicodemus was, that good is not nearly good enough to stand next to a holy and a living God. But if God loves the lowest, all the way to the leaders, the respected people, God's going to love everyone. And if God could use this woman, God will use anyone for his purposes, to share his love and to share his good news to the, and the story of Jesus Christ. It's a compelling story. God loves you. God wants to use you for his purposes. That's good news. That any one of us, God's going to use no matter what our reputation has been, no matter what our story has been. You know, as I close the message this morning, I want to show you a video that I think really communicates effectively uh, just how much this meant to this woman at the well. Watch this video.
I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for. Or pray for, so I don't. Not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain, pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but... You don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me. But don't need to get to know me, for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And you know me. You actually know me. All of me and everything about me. Every thought inside and hair on top of my head. Every hurt stored up. Every hope. Every dread. My past and my future. All I am and could be. You tell me everything. You tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence you say I am he. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. We all need this. We all need the living water of Jesus Christ. We all need the love, the peace, the grace, the forgiveness, the salvation that Christ offers to us. We all need that. We also know that there are so many people in our community that are looking for love and satisfaction in all the wrong places. And all they're finding is loneliness, isolation, emptiness, and despair. And so we have the opportunity to be Christ's representatives. To be like Christ that go to the woman in the well and to offer the good news of the living water that has come for them as well as for us. As we close this morning, I just want to invite you to take out that blessed flyer again. And if you haven't yet taken time to ask God who is it that He wants you to be intentionally praying about, you know where Jesus said, the Scripture said Jesus had to go through Samaria. Who is it that you have to pray for? Who is it that God wants you to go through Samaria for? To build a relationship with, to not only pray for them, but also to bless them by, uh, when moments are right, to share the living water with them. So I want to invite you to fill out one side for yourself with those names. The other side we're going to invite you to bring during the closing song to the table up front and put them on the table with the first the list from the first two services. The living water of eternal life is offered to all. You don't have to be rich, good, respected to receive this living water. You just need to believe 
and trust in Christ. There's no one who God does not want to use to share His love and His uh, message through. God invites all of, us, all of us, all of us to join Him in helping others know Jesus and His love and His eternal life. It's not about your reputation or your ability, but it's about your willingness to serve. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for living water? Are you thirsty for the life of Christ that will bring life to your life, that brings satisfaction and joy and fulfillment and eternal life? Then I'd invite you to receive this offer, this gift of living water. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus, that Jesus was willing to come and demonstrate just how much you love us, every one of us, from the person with the worst reputation to the person who thinks they've got it all together. God, we all need, we all need Christ. We all need the living water for our life. Father, I just want to pray that if there's anyone in this room that is ready to receive the living water of Jesus Christ this morning, that they would openly receive that gift of living water right now. And just simply pray this prayer with me as, as I pray it out loud. Pray it in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came and that you loved me. And Jesus, I'm sorry for all the sins that I've committed, all the things I've done wrong. And yet, Jesus, I know that you love me because of that's just who you are. And I want to receive this gift of living water today. I want that water that will bring satisfaction and joy and life to my life. So I give my life to you. I'm sorry for the sins I've committed. Please forgive me, God. And Jesus, I want to be your follower the rest of my life. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.